You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On our podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our fall 2023 sermon series, In the Wilderness. In this series, we're walking with the Israelites from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land and looking at what we can learn about trusting God more even when the journey looks different than we anticipated or expected. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Numbers chapter 27. If you brought your Bibles with us this morning, I know it's going to be up on the screen, but if you brought your Bible, I encourage you to use it. Uh, You can turn there to Numbers 27. Now this story wasn't the story that I was originally planning to preach when I set up this sermon series. But as I started working on my sermon earlier this week, I was planning to to talk about Balaam, the, the false pagan prophet who had been hired to curse the Israelites. And I just couldn't get there. I didn't feel like I knew where we were supposed to go with it. And so I started asking God, where do you want me to go? And he led us to Numbers chapter 27, beginning in verse one. So that's what we're gonna read this morning. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mahlah, Noah, Hoglah, Miklah, and Tirzah. This is why Jeremy's not reading it. I couldn't do that to him this morning. Those were their names. They came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priests, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting and said, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought the case before the Lord and the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. Say to the Israelites, If a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan that they may possess it. This is to have the force of law for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And before I get into the good part and start preaching, I'm going to invite the kids to go. Sorry, kids. Well, you can go to children's church. No, they'll have a good time. One of the things that shaped my childhood, as we watch our our kids go, uh, one of the things that shaped my childhood was a list that hung 
on our refrigerator right there in the kitchen for everybody to see. It was called the 21 rules of this house. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? It's hanging on our fridge in the parsonage too, though, so it's not too bad. It's not nearly as bad as it sounds. Many of the rules are actually pretty basic rules, but they help to have a, a they help to keep a household functioning well, right? There are rules on there like number seventeen. When we get something out, we put it away. Or number fourteen. In this house, we do not create unnecessary work for others. Number 16, in this house, when we turn something on, we turn it off. If you look at the light switches around our house, we've still not figured that one out. Uh, But some of the rules, you know, aren't so basic, but they get more to the culture that we aspire to have in our home. Rules like, Number five, in this house, we speak kindly and respectfully to one another. Number nine, when someone is sad, we comfort them. Or number three, in this house, we tell the truth. One of my favorite rules on the list, though, as if you needed another reason to think, Pastor Scott's so nerdy. I've got a favorite rule on a list of 21 rules. But one of my favorites is number 19. And number 19 says that in this house, when we don't know what to do, we ask. When we don't know what to do, we ask. It seems simple enough, right? But I can't tell you how many times one of the boys has done something. And when I ask them, Why they did that instead of this, the answer was, I didn't know what to do. Like this week, when I walked in the house and found a toilet just overflowing and overflowing and overflowing all over the floor. And by the time I got the water turned off and got it cleaned up a little bit and found that specific yet unnamed son, I asked, why did you you just let that happen? He said, well, I didn't know what to do. At which point my response as always was, well, in our family, when we don't know what to do, we, and he said, we ask. Right, exactly. See, you guys get it. Could you help my kids? Could you help them? When we don't know what to do, we ask. And this is what I see happening in today's story in the wilderness, right? We have this group of women, sisters, daughters of a dude named Zalafahad, who from here on out, I'm going to call Zed, okay? It'll cut about five minutes off the sermon if I just call him Zed. Uh, Anyway, Zed was part of the generation of Israelites that God had brought miraculously out of their captivity in Egypt, right? But he was also part of that same generation who refused to enter the promised land when God led them there because they gave in to fear based on the report of those 10 spies rather than trusting in God's leading. So Zed was part of that generation 
generation. But his daughters are quick to let us know and to point out that, that he had not been part of the rebellion against Moses and Aaron's leadership, which had been led by a guy named Korah. And you can read about that uh, story in Numbers 16. I didn't preach on that story in this series, but we did mention it as part of our Jude series because Jude talks about that. So if you want to know more about Korah's rebellion, read Numbers 16 or listen to the sermon from June 18th. But if, it, if Korah sounds vaguely familiar, that's why. Anyway, so Zed died in the wilderness during those 40 years that the Israelites were wandering. But he died without having any sons. Right? And that was a problem. Right? There was no one to carry on his name, Zelophehad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the son of Israel. This may not sound like a big deal to us today in an era when property is bought and sold freely and inheritances usually have more of a financial implication than they do a land implication And gender doesn't matter when it comes to who can own something, right? But names still matter. Even if we don't give long, elaborate genealogies when we introduce ourselves to someone new, we still go by a family name that identifies us as part of something that's larger than ourselves, And up until pretty recently, those names continued to be passed through male descendants, right? So when Meg and I were married, she became Meg Rambo. And all of our children, who happen to be sons, share that same name, same last name, Rambo, right? And and I'm not going to lie. There's a sense of pride that swells up in me when I see Rambo written in letters across the back of one of their jerseys, right? But Zed had no sons, no one to carry on his name, no one to inherit the land that should have been allotted to his family, So when the census was taken of all the Israelite men of fighting age, and just the chapter before, in chapter 26, for the purpose of determining their strength before they went into the promised land to take possession of it, but also so that when they divided up the land, they could know where it was going to be divided as and as Numbers 26:52 puts it, it was based on the number of names of the men of fighting age, the number of names. But Zed didn't have any sons. So his daughters came before Moses and the leaders of Israel, and they tell them all about this situation, right? They they give him the whole rundown. They say, our father died in the wilderness. He wasn't part of Korah's rebellion, but but he did die because of his own part in, in... you know, not going into the promised land, and he had no sons. But it's not fair, they say, that his name should disappear from the earth forever. 
And then they told the leaders the solution that they had come up with. They said, give us the land that would have been given to our father or to our brothers if we had them. There's only one problem with their solution, right? They were daughters, not sons. And land was passed through sons. And in my mind's eye, I don't know if you ever do this when you're listening to scripture or reading it yourself, but I tend to see these pictures in my mind. In my mind's eye, I tend to see Moses kind of looking sideways at Eleazar the priest and, and the, the leaders who were there with them kind of looking back and forth at one another and the people in the assembly starting to murmur to each other, can they do that? Can women inherit land? Is this even allowed? But you see, God had never told the Israelites, he'd never told Moses that women couldn't own or inherit land. That's what the culture told them, right? That's what their context told them. It's just how the world worked at that time. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying that it was, right? So in the midst of the uncertainty about what to do and whether this solution that Zed's daughters was proposing was even possible, Moses says, "Um, please hold. I'm gonna need to speak to my supervisor, Right? That's essentially what he does. Moses doesn't know what to do, so he says, let me go and ask God. And so he does. He goes, he asks God what to do with this situation where there was no instruction in place. Right? You can read all through the laws in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus, all those fun laws that it's really fun to sit down and read. If you want a fun time this afternoon, go ahead and give it a shot. Um, All those laws, this situation's not addressed. I don't know what Moses expected God to say in response, but God's response was completely countercultural to what they would have, what would have been the case in the nations all around Israel. God says, they're right. These women are right. You should give Zed's daughters an inheritance among their clan and among their relatives. And I think that probably blew Moses' mind a little bit. Right? Because contrary to the objections that we often hear that the God of the Old Testament was this patriarchal, angry God who, who lifts up men and subjugates women... If we read the Old Testament closely, God repeatedly and consistently elevates the role of women and honors women in a way that the culture of the time rarely did. And not only does God say that these sisters who have no brothers and whose father has died can inherit the land, he names each of them individually in the record of scripture, right? They're not just Zed's nameless daughters. We can't read this story in Numbers 27 or the census in chapter 26 without reading the names Mala 
Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. Out of all the tribes and clans recorded in the census in the previous chapter, these five women are named individually, along with a couple other people who did some, some bad things and were called out for that. But these five women were named individually. And this wasn't just a case of God making an exception because a story or a situation kind of tugged on his heartstrings, right? God goes on in his response to make this an application of law for the Israelites. If this situation comes up again where a man dies with daughters but no sons, give the land to the daughters. And if there are no children whatsoever, then give the land to his brothers. And if he didn't have brothers, give it to his uncles. And if he didn't give it to the uncles, give it to somebody within his family unit, within his clan, because it mattered to God that the land that was given to each tribe as their inheritance, as their entrusting of their part of the promised land, it was important that that land stayed within the tribe. And the power dynamics that had been at play between men and women that we see happen all around the world and down through history, that wasn't the result of God's creation intent. It was the result of the fall, right? When God created humankind, he made them male and female. There are differences, for sure. We can't deny those differences. But it was never meant to be a top-down kind of thing. It was only as a consequence of sin entering into the picture that the power struggle between men and women came to be the norm. And all through the story of Scripture, we can see God working to reverse this trend, to elevate women until in the New Testament, God could tell us through the writings of the Apostle Paul that in Christ, there is no male and female, right? At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We're all called to Christ. We're all empowered to receive his spirit. So God's working within his character and his nature to show his people who he is. And in this instance, when the Israelites didn't know what to do, Moses asked. But what about us? What do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, I think the same applies, right? When we don't know what to do, we should ask. We should go to God for his leading and his instruction. Because, listen, there are situations that happen every day that don't have a direct, specific, biblical command or precedent that we can look to, right? That we can look at and look up and say, okay, this is what we should do in this situation. And that's because God didn't intend for the Bible to be a legal rule book that we can reference, right? We just, we turn to the concordance, we're dealing with this issue, we find it, we find a verse, and we get a universally applicable answer to every question we may ever ask. 
right? That's not what God intended for scripture to be. God gave us the Bible so that we could get to know him. So that we could see who he is and how he acts in history. So that we can see his character and his nature revealed as God interacts with people and invites them into a transforming relationship with himself. He gave us the Bible so that we could be reconciled to him and shaped into people who could bear his image like he always intended and carry his spirit into the world. Knowing God revealed in Jesus Christ by the power of the spirit. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why I stand up here every week and open the Bible and preach to you. Not because it's gonna tell us what to do in every situation in which we may find ourselves in, but because it reveals the God who wants to walk with us and lead us and guide us. So we need to ask God what to do when we don't know what to do. But what about those times when we don't know what to do and we ask God for leading and instruction, but we don't seem to get an answer? Anyone ever done that? You ask God a question and you don't feel like you got an answer? I could put both hands up. What do we do in the midst of that kind of uncertainty. I think there are three options available to us. When we don't know what to do and we ask, but we don't seem to get an answer, number one, we could do nothing until we get an answer, right? So many times all through scripture, we're encouraged to wait on the Lord. So it seems like solid biblical advice, right? But the problem is, I don't think we can do nothing in our waiting. And the more pressure we put on ourselves to hear from God, the more pressure we put on ourselves to to get some kind of leading or guidance from God, the harder it seems to be to actually hear from God. And the temptation then is to convince ourselves that we are hearing God when it's really just our own voice and we don't want to wait any longer, right? So we can wait on God and do nothing until we hear from him. Second option, we can keep doing what we're supposed, what we know we're supposed to do. Right? In the absence of new instructions, we can focus on continuing to do the things we know that we've been called to do. We can be faithful to what we do know, even when we don't know. But we have to be intentional within this option to keep listening. Right? Or we can get into such a groove that even when God does speak, we're not paying attention any longer. So we can keep doing what we know we're supposed to do. Finally, We can take what we've learned about who God is and how he's called us to live in scripture and we can make the wisest decision possible, right? Because sometimes God entrusts to us the responsibility of making a decision. 
God's grace has granted to us what Blaise Pascal termed the dignity of causation, which means that we are able to make real choices that have a real impact and real consequence. God didn't create us just to be robots, which only uh, behave according to our programming. And he didn't make us to be puppets that are just waiting for God to pull on the strings to make us do what he wants us to do. God has given us a free will to be able to make choices that matter. And sometimes he wants us to use that will in line with what we have come to know of God and his will and his purpose to make the best decision we can in a situation. It can be really difficult to be in the midst of a season of uncertainty. Not gonna lie, I can relate to that at the moment. Anyone else here feel some level of uncertainty in your life? What do we do when we don't know what to do? I think we actually have to combine all those options that I was just talking about. It's not a pick and choose kind of situation. It's it's a combination that starts with asking God every time. When we don't know what to do, we ask. And then we wait for him to speak into the situation or, or tell us that we're not asking maybe the right question. And... We keep doing the things that God's already told us to do. And when we need to, we make decisions based on biblically formed wisdom. And we trust that if we keep listening and surrendering our will to God's will, he will lead us and he will guide us. So what do we do? When we don't know what to do, we ask, we ask, and we trust that even in the uncertainty, God is going to speak.